Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham, and I want to thank the folks at TommyJohn.com for sponsoring the Weekly Standard. We really appreciate their support. And guys, if you're not familiar with Tommy John's fantastic men's products, you are in for a treat. Tommy John is a revolution in men's underwear that focuses on fit, fabric, and function. Shirts that stay tucked, socks that stay up, and underwear that keeps everything in place whichever way a man moves. Now, when they came to me and said, Michael, we want you to try on our socks, underwear, and T-shirts and talk to the podcast listeners about them, I said, you know, you may have found the worst person in America to do this. I'm not a clothes guy. I Underwear? My only question about underwear in the past was how many holes can they have in them before they're technically not underwear? But I'll say it. TommyJohn.com has been life changing. Look, I'm longer in the torso, so t-shirts never stay tucked. And so at some point during the day, my t-shirt has ridden up under my armpits. I hate that. I was always the guy who had to find a discreet corner to remove the wedgie because my underwear didn't fit quite right. And I didn't really think about it. I just was walking around uncomfortable. Then I tried Tommy John underwear. Wow. It's like somebody who understands how men are shaped actually designed these. The t-shirts have a patented taper design. They're longer and form-fitting with just the right amount of stretch. And the socks have a unique technology that keeps them from sagging. I love TommyJohn.com products. It's all I'm wearing from now on, and I think you will too. But don't take my word for it. Try them for yourself. 20% off and support the Weekly Standard podcast, go to TommyJohn.com slash Weekly Standard. Use the promo code Weekly Standard. That's TommyJohn.com slash Weekly Standard. Guys, you're going to love them. With us from the Weekly Standard is senior editor Christopher Caldwell, of whose writing I've been a longtime fan. You should know that. And psychophant. I've been lurking outside of his office here at our palatial uh, estate. And I finally lured him into the podcast room. Now the door is locked and you can't leave until you talk to me. All right. So well, just thank you're you, stuck. Michael. I'm glad to be here. No so, place I'd rather be. So 81 million people watched uh, Trump v. Clinton round one. And uh, as you know, a lot of how the debate is viewed is crafted by the media afterwards. I got to say, I have found the media has been kind of, uh, you know, kind of in the middle on this. They, they essentially making the argument that Hillary probably won, but Trump didn't really hurt himself. She couldn't knock him out. No matter how badly he may have handled individual topics, he still got out his message that for 30 years you've been do nothing, you're part of Washington, etc. Uh, you have a little different take. Yes, I do. You know, I, I, I think it's, it is certainly possible to overestimate the importance of debates. Uh, uh, for one thing, there are other debates, and, and, and he has a chance to do better next time. Uh, for another thing, not everyone watches them, and the people who watch them aren't necessarily watching the arguments. But I have to say that since the revival of presidential debates in the mid-1970s, this was, by a large measure, the worst blowout of any debate. And I don't think there's any other debate that even is in the neighborhood of this one. It's a boundary-setting debate. It's sort of like that the NFL championship <laughs> game in the 1940s when the, the, the Redskins beat the Bears 73 to nothing. Right. And they had to ask people to throw the <laughs> balls back because they were losing too many of them for, for extra points, you know? The, Trump was shut out in this debate. He got nothing out of it. And well, it, let me interrupt yeah. you there because I know people are listening and going, well, there we go. Another mm. Trump hater at the Weekly Standard, mm. someone who was going to declare mm. Trump the loser no matter what. Is that true? Well, no, I don't think so. And on the contrary, I would say if you had asked me this uh, 24 hours ago, um, and we're now just a few hours after the debate, mm -hmm. 
um, I would have said Trump really had the momentum on his side and he was in good shape. Uh, and I would say that, that the presidential ra- race was his to lose. And I, and I would have given you three reasons. You know, one is there's a stigma attached to voting for Trump, mm-hmm. uh, not just in uh, – big metropolitan areas, but I think in a lot of parts of the country. It's a very emulative country, and Trump is not the uh, candidate of the upper classes. Two is, I think events tend to favor Trump. When a policeman gets shot in in, in, in Dallas or Baton Rouge, that is not helping Hillary Clinton. But finally, the, uh, the third reason is I, I, I expected Trump to do better in the debates. Whatever you may think about his debating style, uh, Debates have tended to lift him up. They were the means by which he rose in the Republican primaries. They were also the means by which Hillary fell in the Democratic primaries. So these things all seem to work together in a dynamic that would put Trump uh, with the momentum to win this race. And he didn't need to do anything um, in that debate last night. He just had to look human um, and and minimally competent. And I and he failed. When, when did he fail? What what were the moments that you think exposed you know his failure as opposed to merely yeah not that great because that's the the, the, the conventional wisdom is eh, it's probably not going to affect him. Trump is Trump. It's all baked in. But you yeah. think he crossed that line? Give me some examples. Well, I think in the beginning of the debate when he was talking about uh, about trade and NAFTA, he was he was doing quite well. I mean, he was being garrulous. He was doing a few things that we might consider uh, a little bit rude or whatever, but he was making his points and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. The problem came when he allowed, he actually allowed Hillary Clinton to bait him in the most obvious way by saying that his businesses, if he, if we looked into his taxes, we'd find that his businesses were a, actually a failure and he lost control. It's it's not that, that, that the things he said were wrong, although plenty of them were. It's the inability to master the conversation. Mm-hmm. He was he was totally out of control. He did not know what he was saying. He didn't know he had no agenda. He had no direction, and it was actually a little bit embarrassing to watch. Uh, the the only place I would t- disagree with you is the little bit. I'm a recovering radio talk show host, and on occasion I would have a topic not work, and I'd planned on talking about it for the whole segment, and halfway through. I would look at the clock and I had four more minutes to go, which in radio is a long time. And I had nothing to say. And so I would generate this word salad and flail around and try to rehash and just whatever and just tap dance until I got to a commercial break. And that was Donald Trump numerous times during the debate. I quite agree. I think there were moments when it would have been better if he had just stopped Stopped talking. talking. And there was a... um, a couple of these things were very curious. He wound up actually rescuing her. You know, there was a moment mm-hmm. when the two of them were – they were attacking one another. And this happens very – this is the classic position in a debate. Well, mm-hmm. you did this. Yeah, but you did this. Right. Well, you did this. Hillary uh, – uh, Trump was saying that Hillary had uh, abused uh, the, the government by, by, by hiding her email messages at the State Department on a private server. Hillary had said that Trump hadn't released his tax returns. But all of a sudden, Trump turned around. And he started talking about his own tax returns for several minutes. And um, it was absolutely mystifying. That's exactly what Hillary, if Hillary had every, were able to sort of like control the words coming out of his mouth, she'd have programmed him to say exactly the same thing he did. There was something so self-destructive about it. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the thing that showed up last night. You saw a self-destructive man who mm-hmm. wants to be president. When you try to explain this, why, why was he trying to do this? It's almost as if, you know, I mean, all politicians are egotistical. That is one area in which Donald Trump is not 
particularly special as a politician. <laughs> but in this case, it almost seemed like he would rather talk about his failings than his opponents because his failings involved him, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. So. No, I, I think that's true. And you, you, it's interesting. Uh, people have talked about, did he have a mastery of the facts? Did he lose control of the moment? Did he have a mastery of the moment? To me, this is, and maybe this is because I was an English lit major, but this is classic man versus himself. I mean, he has no mastery of himself. Right. And I want to add another word and see if it, or another phrase and see if it jumped out at you, Chris. Because this has been my take on Trump from the beginning. And I thought I saw, I thought I saw it last night, you know how you project. But I think of Trump as the Atlantic City candidate. What's the deal with Atlantic City? It's fundamentally second rate. Even if you go there and if you have a good time, you know you're slumming. It's just, it's not Vegas. It's, and I, I hate to be mean to define people in Atlantic City. I'm sure they're wonderful people. But that, that to me is Donald Trump. The people who are pretending that he is a real top tier, first level contender to be leader of America or to be a candidate for president. No, he's a, he's a second rate candidate with second rate answers, but, it, but he's got, you know, the guilted, you know, the, the, the fake gold and the dancing girls. That's how you cover up the second rate, second ratedness. And I saw a I, second rate guy on stage last night. I guess I, I, I would partly disagree okay. with you there. I, I mean, I think that there is something, you know, Donald Trump is a guy uh, of obviously tremendous talents of, of, of some kind. You know, he's succeeded in a highly competitive business in which he's been um, often mocked. Um, uh, there have often been people who've tried to, to, to thwart him. A lot of people have doubted him. And still, he's got this business that, uh, you know, he started building three or four decades ago. And it's still, you know, however much you think he's worth, he's worth a ton of money. So he's obviously a guy of real gifts. He's, uh, I mean, of first-rate gifts in some realm. And I also think we are a democracy. We're a democratic republic, but electing our president is the most democratic part of that republic. So I don't, I'm not with those who say he's not qualified to be president of the United States. He's 35. He's a natural born citizen. And if he gets the most votes, he meets the qualifications to be president of the United States. But I also feel that uh, there was a certain bit of, I did sense a kind of outer boroughs class anxiety last night. It sort of felt like I I, I sensed a bit of uncertainty on his Mm -hmm. part, whether he really belonged on this big stage, a sort of nervousness that I did not see in the um, primary debates. I'm going to throw another phrase out out of his league. That's how I saw it. And uh, that's why we have these great conversations. So here's my question. Uh, Bill Kristol, our colleague, pointed out in a podcast we did right after the debate on Monday night that um, it's often the case that it's the second debate that has the most impact on the trajectory of the race. The glaring example is Mitt Romney, Barack Obama, where Romney had that great first debate. Uh, Barack Obama and Candy Crowley shut him down in the second debate. And that kind of stopped whatever the little fire was from growing. Reagan in 84, same thing. Uh, going forward, do you see the opportunity for Trump to, you know, to, to excel, to, to take the commanding heights? Do you think – what about the, the, the chatter that he may just not show up for another debate? He may say, ah, it's, it's all against me. They're all in the bag against me. I'm not going to do this. Look, look in your crystal ball, Christopher Caldwell. I have no crystal ball and I never have, but 
I think it would be a mistake for him not to show up for the second debate. Um, I think second debates are important because um, the ones you've mentioned, in the, in, in the ones you've mentioned, a serious doubt has been raised uh, about one of the, the candidates in the first debate. And, um, you know, we've had two consecutive presidents who in their re-election races have um, faltered in the first debate. But we must remember that those were incumbent presidents at the time. And so they were people who had given, however they might have muffed up the debate, uh, they had given four years of evidence that they were at least ticking along right. in, the, in, in the Oval Office, you know, whereas um, Trump's, the case Trump has to make is that he belongs there in the first place. Can he make that case? Yes, I, he should be able to make it. He's been making it all along. I mean, up until um, very recently, um, he'd been making it very well, very unconventionally and um, um, in, in certainly a polarizing way. But I'm not sure that there are any non-polarizing ways to the White House anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, when you talk about, you know, the, 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 Trump has certainly lacked command of detail. He does not seem to be uh, uh, increasing in his ability to master detail um, throughout this campaign, and he doesn't, he doesn't seem to care about it. That needn't be a, a, a fatal liability. The fact that Hillary Clinton knows more leaders in, in the Middle East can be turned against her, and you can see that Trump has tried to turn it against her by saying, yeah, yeah, you know all these numbers, but I have better judgment. What he can't survive is is a performance that makes people doubt his his character or his judgment. And I'm afraid that's the kind of performance he turned in last night. Christopher Caldwell, thank you so much for your post-debate analysis. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Crayon.